Okay, bismillah, bismillah, walhamdulillah, wassalatu wassalam ala rasulillah. So just to remind everybody, well, the first thing that we talked about, the first thing I want to remind us all about was two, uh, the concepts of, well, you could say four concepts. Qat'iyu thubut, qat'iyu dalala, and then dhanniyu thubut and dhanniyu dalala. Can anybody remind me of what these words mean for those of you that were here last week? Yes, fadal. What does qat'iyu thubut or dhanniyu thubut imply? What, what is that, what is it referring to? Uh, what type of sunnah? Sahih. So, qat'iyat thubut means, is re- referencing everything that is solid in terms of its transmission. That's a reference to the Qur'an and a reference to uh, the authentic sunnah of the Prophet that has a sahih or even hasan chain of narration. Dhaniyat thubut refers to? Yeah, maybe weakness in the chain, right? Maybe it's da'if, etc. Uh, now, what about qat'iyu uh, dalala versus dhanniyu dalala? Can you help me out with that one? From last week? Does anybody remember that? No, no. No, no. Brother Firas, what are you doing in the back over there? What are you hiding? Do you remember what we talked about last week? Okay, yalla, help us out. What is qat'iyu dalala versus dhanniyu dalala? What does that refer to? How clear it is referring to, like, how, yeah, how, yeah, what ruling you can get from it, right? Or how, how many ways can you interpret the statement? So in a statement, there's this chain. If it's authentic, it's qat'iyu dalala in terms of its transmission. If it's weak in terms of transmission, dhanniyu dalala. Uh, excuse me, dhanniyu thubut. Qat'iyu thubut and dhanniyu thubut. Then in terms of the statement itself, the text, if it only has one way of being interpreted, that's qat'iyu dalala. If there's multiple ways of understanding it, that's dhanniyu dalala. So I hope that's clear. And then we talked about, okay, so we're, that's a very important thing I want everybody to memorize in Shalatana. And then we talked about what are the different evidences in Islam. And we talked about the first four, which are the ones that adillatun muttafiqun alayh uh, they are the evidences that most scholars agree upon. There's no difference really of opinion here. That Quran, Sunnah, Ijma' and Qiyas. Those were the four that we talked about, uh, that we mentioned. And of course, we're going to go into all of them and the second type of evidences as well. But before we get there, uh, we're going to have to get into Quran. ta'ala. So that's what we're going to cover today. What does it mean that this Quran is considered a hujjah? What does that mean? Well, let's get into a few points. The first point I want to talk about is the Quran itself. Uh, what does it mean? The word, the literal, like, lughatan, uh, there's always, every time you define something in fiqh text, you always have lughatan and istilahan. So lughatan means linguistically, istilahan means like uh, for, uh, based on its uh, usage or based on the subject matter, like well, how is it defined? So l- linguistically, coming from qara'a, which means to recite, Qur'an means that it's, it's, a, it's a hyperbolized form, meaning it is often recited, or the recitation, the thing that is recited the most, you could say, which is amazing because it literally is the book that is recited the most on planet Earth. There is no book that is recited more than the Qur'an. So even the name, the fact that it's called the Qur'an, the most recited thing, and it turns out to be the most recited thing, should be something to appreciate, subhanAllah. That's uh, from its, you know, the, if you look, take a look at it linguistically and its etymology. But then again, istilah, and like in terms of its definition, هو كلام الله تعالى المنزل على رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم باللسان العربي لإعجاز بأقصر سورة منه المكتوب في المصاحف المنقول بالتواتر المتعبد بتلاوته المبدأ المبدأ بسورة الفاتحة 
al-makhtumu bi surat al-nas. So this is the, you could say, technical definition of the Quran. It is the speech of Allah, the Most High. It is sent down upon the Messenger Sallallahu in the Arabic language as a miracle with even its shortest surah uh, written in the Masahif, as in it was written down at the time of the Prophet Sallallahu and transmitted by Tawatur. In, in other words, so many corroborating narrations that you could not doubt it. It is worship uh, uh, to recite it. It is, it is considered a, an act of worship. That's why we pray with it, etc. And, and that's why, the, as the Prophet says, like you get a 10 hasanat for every time, for every letter, right? It is, uh, this is something uh, specific to it, something that is unique to the Quran. It is worship to recite it, and it begins with Fatiha and ends with Nas. So, the Quran is Allah's speech in word and in meaning. It's not like, oh, this is Allah's intended meaning, but it's been put in human language. No, this is Allah Ta'ala's even in wording, uh, and in meaning in every way. Its eloquence surpasses human ability, and there's books about this stuff. One in, in the English language is called The Eternal Challenge. You can download it as a PDF online if you're interested. And uh, some recitations are only transmitted by a single narration, al-qira'a When you have a shadh, or a, you could say, a qira'a, a recitation of a particular verse that only has one narration, the, then it's not actually considered authoritatively from the Qur'an. That's very something important to understand, that there are certain qira'at Right, certain ways of reciting a particular ayah that may have tawatur narrations behind it. Right, have a, you know so many corroborating narrations behind it, and th therefore that's considered part of the Quran. Whether it's uh, Warsh or whether it's Hafsan uh, Asim or whatever it may be, it's all considered part of the Quran. Then there might be one recitation that's like you know it only has one chain of transmission. It's interesting to know it, and you know, mashallah, the specialists will be aware of it. But it's not; it doesn't have that same hujia. It doesn't have that same, you could say, evidence and weight as the rest, which is tawatur. And each bismillah at the beginning of the 113 surahs is considered part of the Quran because it's transmitted by tawatur. However, the Malikis differ. They say it isn't considered a verse itself. So this is one of these minor differences of opinion. Now, in terms of its miraculous nature, this is not something I'm going to go into great, great detail with today, but I thought we should obviously be aware of these things, just get a taste of it. As time progresses, people constantly discover new features of the Qur'an, which make it impossible to limit how many ways the Qur'an is miraculous. That being said, here are a few ways that the Qur'an is miraculous in terms of its completeness. It offers wisdom and guidance regarding creed, regarding law, crime, history, economics, contracts, inheritance, warfare, society, psychology, behavior, marriage, family, manners. And in terms of scientific miracles, here's just a quick list of certain things that are very popular. You know, the description of the beginning of the universe, how every, you know, everything was joined together and then it was cleft asunder, the expanding universe, uh, mountains as pegs, that the earth is round, that the seas, there are seas that don't mix, and that there are stages of human development. These are things that, you know, at that time nobody knew about. Uh, furthermore, part of the miraculous nature of the Qur'an are future predictions like the conquest of Rome, the conquest of Mecca, uh, uh, the uh, rational arguments and logical points that Allah Ta'ala delivers. This is part of its miraculous nature. The lack of contradictions, the eloquence uh, in its unique style, expressions, and order of subject matter and word choice. Furthermore, the ring structure, which I talk about often in our Tuesday classes. Uh, the onomastic miracles, which I have not talked about yet, but I do have uh, extensive notes on, which one day, inshallah, I hope to uh, talk about. The Onomastic miracle. Onomastic means the source of names. So it's really amazing how when Allah Ta'ala mentions a person's name, you'll find that the definition of that name is offered in the Quran itself, sometimes in ways that correct people's misunderstandings. And I know that's a, that's, there's, a, there's a lot there to unpack, but that'll be for another day, inshallah Ta'ala. The sound of the recitation is transformative. People convert just by hearing the Qur'an sometimes. And of course, there are four different places in the Qur'an where it challenges mankind to produce, produce speech like it. Now, again, that's not going to be our subject in detail for today, but just a, a reminder about how this Qur'an is something powerful. 
Now, uh, in terms of evidence from the verses upon rulings, when we talk about what evidence does it hold, as our brother mentioned just a moment ago, that everything in the Qur'an, the entirety of the Qur'an is thubut, meaning, as he said just a second ago, that means the entirety of it has been transmitted in an authentic way. We can't doubt its transmission because it all has been authentically preserved through tawatir. However, the fiqh in the Qur'an can still be divided between dalala, as in clear and obvious uh, uh, rulings. And I give three examples here. Three examples of uh, dalala, as in there's no two ways of interpreting the ayah. Allah Ta'ala says, this is the ruling, this is the fiqh ruling, and you can't say, well, maybe it means something else. The wording is too clear. And examples of this are, for example, Surah Ma'idah, ayah number 38, Allah Ta'ala says, you cut the hand of the thief. You can't be like, well, to cut the hand really means to, you know, no, no, it means cut the hand of the thief, it is what it is. Um, and in, in Surah An-Nur, ayah number four, Allah Ta'ala talks about having 80 lashes for the one who commits slander, which is accusing an innocent person of fornication. So again, what, you know, this is something very, uh, not only qat'iyu thubut in terms of its transmission, because it's Quran, but qat'iyu dalala, the wording is very clear and you cannot doubt it. Then in uh, Surah Mujadala, ayah number three, the freeing of a slave for zihar. Does anybody know, can anybody tell me quickly what is zihar? Huh? Yes, it's Surah Mujadala. Okay, two people, okay, can we raise a hand? <laughs> yes, go ahead, Tilda. Exactly right. So basically, uh, yeah, they would say you are like my mother, but okay, so is that like an insult or is that just trying to be funny or are you, are you comparing looks? No, it was actually, it's something actually quite serious. It is saying that basically you are haram for me to engage with in a physical way. So just the same way, like the idea of being physically intimate with one's mother is completely repulsive. So in the exact same manner, the person saying, you're like my mother from now on. In other words, I will never touch you again. So what is this person doing? They are putting the woman in a sort of limbo, which is a very um, cruel thing to do because as a husband, you're supposed to be in charge. You're supposed to be a good leader. And so what some people would do is they would say, uh, I'll stay married to you so that you know, I'm not gonna give you the divorce so that you can actually move on with your life and find a new man and get into a new relationship that is healthy. No, I'm gonna maintain this relationship, but I'm gonna maintain it in the most toxic way possible, to, to put it in our sort of colloquial language. I'm basically, you're stuck with me because I'm not divorcing you, but I will never physically engage with you. So you're kind of in this limbo state, and it was a something that was very much, uh, um, obviously, evil and uh, criticized in the Quran to the point that Allah says, the. Um, uh, expiation, the kafara for this zihar is the freeing of a slave. So moving on, what is, now that we know that the whole Qur'an is qat'iyu thubut in terms of obviously its transmission is undoubted. And there are some ayat that are qat'iyu dalala. You can't doubt what it means because the ruling is so clear. What about dhanniyu dalala? What about certain ayat where you're not sure what it means? Here are some examples of this as well. And so if anybody wants to get into fiqh, they have to be aware of these things. That's why this is usul al-fiqh. These are the principles of fiqh. You have to be aware of these realities. For example, when Allah Ta'ala says, This is a word, qura' is a word that uh, the uh, fuqaha debate about, which uh, the ayah says, divorced women remain in waiting for three periods. Well, what is a period? The fact of the matter is that women go through the cycle, their menstrual cycle. So they go, they oscillate between 
Tuhur, which is the time where they are not menstruating, which is, you know, they've already taken their shower and they have to now make wudu and do their prayers, etc., etc. So that entire period is called Tuhur period. Then when their Hayd begins, that's their Hayd, their, 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 men, their menses begin, then they don't pray anymore. And that continues until they're done, then they take the shower and they go back to Tuhur, praying and so forth. So, you know, you're constantly going back and forth between Tuhur and Hayd. So the question is, what is a Qara? So when Allah says that divorced women remain in waiting for three periods, does that mean I have to wait three menstrual cycles or three clean periods? You guys get it? So this is something that is that scholars differ on this issue. And so you'll find different fuqaha giving their evidences for that. So this is an important thing to know because if you're going to get into fiqh, you have to know that there are certain issues that are debated about. Another example of would be uh, Allah Ta'ala says what? Uh, prohibited for you are dead animals okay that seems pretty straightforward however as I mentioned at the bottom here the word meta could include all animals but doesn't include sea animals based on other evidences there are other evidences that demonstrate that sea animals even if they're dead and I believe there's a uh, famous hadith I don't have it with me right now so I uh, can't comment too much about it but uh, I'm just going to go from memory that there's a hadith that talks about how the Sahaba actually were stranded in a certain area and they were next to the ocean and they went and there was a whale that was washed up on the sea and they ate of that uh, whale blubber or fat and so this is something that saved their lives they brought it back and the Prophet partook and they said I want some of that too Allah Ta'ala sent you a blessing I want to also enjoy that as well so from this you see oh there's evidence that that which is in the sea is halal whether it be alive or dead so this is again somebody says no 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 if it's dead and in the sea it must be haram 100% no this is the, the, the dalil here is dhanni it's suspicious there's an issue here because it's talking about land not sea hope that's clear now there are five kinds of rulings in Islam everybody needs to be aware of this uh, ob obligatory it can be described as fard or wajib recommended could be described as mustahab or mandub allowed is mubah disliked is something makruh and something prohibited is haram now the Hanafi fiqh does differentiate between uh, fard and wajib based on evidence if the evidence is uh, from the Quran or from tawatur hadith, they'll call it fard. And if the evidence is from something like an ahad or a single narration, they'll say it's wajib. But that doesn't change the fact that you must do it. Whether you call it obligatory or necessary, uh, whether you, uh, for even from the, uh, from the Hanafi perspective, uh, uh, fard or wajib, you st it's still a must, right? It's just a, they just differentiate in terms of how strong the uh, evidence is. But that's a. But the vast majority of uh, the Jumhur position, the uh, majority opinion, is that there are five categories: obligatory, recommended, allowed, disliked, and prohibited. So, what do these things look like from the Quran? This is what I want to talk about today, inshallah. And I'm not going to make today too long. But uh, so we'll just go through several examples here, so we get a flavor and a taste of what it looks like when you're drawing evidences from the Quran. And we're going to look, take a look at all these five categories. So, when it comes to the first two categories, it could be either one. These ayat that I'm going to show you are referring to sometimes obligations or sometimes recommendations and the only way you can differentiate these two is based on corroborating extra evidence. So we're not going to get into all that detail right now. We're just going to suffice it to say that for the following examples, these are going to either be obligations or recommendations. So for example, al-amr. Al-amr means a command. Anything that Allah commands. I'll give, I gave a simple example here. Ya amru anfiqu. Oh, you have believed? Spend. So the word spend is a command. So that's going to either indicate what? Obligation or recommendation. Does everybody understand if I'm going, is, is this clear? That a command, if I say do this, either I'm recommending it like, man, you really need to work out. 
You go to the gym. What am I telling you? Either you have to do it or I'm recommending you to do it. This is just from language. It's common sense. It's obvious. Another, the second example is the word fard. Obviously, the word fard means obligatory, right? So when Allah says, Allah has already ordained for you Muslims the dissolution of your oaths. So when Allah Ta'ala says, that he has uh, obliged something, then clearly this is an expression that denotes what? Obligation or recommendation. Let's keep going. What about al-kitabah? When Allah says this has been written, or this has been prescribed, or this has been decreed or ordained. For example, Allah says, Ya amanu, kutiba alaykum siyam We're going to be hearing this ayah multiple times coming up in the next few months, because Ramadan is on its way. Oh, you who have believed, decreed upon you, is fasting, it has been written, it has been prescribed upon you. Kutiba alaykum. So Allah is not commanding it, but Allah is describing it as a something decreed upon you. So this is an expression that connotates or expresses what? Obligation or recommendation. In this particular case, we know that this is an obligation because this is talking about Ramadan. What about when Allah Ta'ala says something is khair, is better, or it's best? Uh, Allah Ta'ala says, Ya Bani Adam, qad anzalna alaykum libasan yuwari sawatikum uh, o children of Adam, we have bestowed upon you clothing to conceal your private parts and as adornments. But the clothing of taqwa, of righteousness, is best. So this is a recommendation. So anything being described as better clearly is a recommendation or perhaps even obligatory. More examples is when Allah says something is good, al-husn. Uh, Allah Ta'ala says, for example, وَمَنْ يَقْتَرِفْ حَسَنَةً نَزِدْ لَهُ فِيهَا حُسْنًا And whoever commits a good deed will increase him good therein. We're going to increase him in even more good. Well, then that's clearly a recommendation or perhaps an oblig- uh, uh, obligation. And then uh, uh, again, Allah Ta'ala says what? لِلَّذِينَ أَحْسَنُوا الْحُسْنًا وَزِيَادَةً And for those who have done good, they will have الْحُسْنًا The best of rewards. It's talking about paradise and ziyada. Extra, that's a reference, and Allah knows best, based on uh, hadith. This is a reference to uh, the ability to look at Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, in paradise. So, some final, uh, what's it called? Uh, examples of obligation or recommendation. When Allah says, Allah, this is to Allah. So, for example, Allah ta'ala says what? وَلِلَّهِ عَلَى النَّاسِ حِجُّ الْبَيْتِ مَنْ اسْتَطَاعَ إِلَيْهِ سَبِيلًا And due to Allah, from the people, is a pilgrimage to the house. So when Allah Ta'ala says what? This is, uh, uh, sorry, excuse me, not Allah, but Alan Nas. I should, have, I should have written that, I think it's a typo. But that this is upon mankind. This is imposed upon mankind. It's lillahi alan nas. So what is the implication here? Allah is not saying I have obliged it, but it's saying it's on you. And that means it is an obligation. So anytime Allah Ta'ala praises an action or magnifies it or describes it as something that he loves or promises any sort of good towards it, all these are examples of either obligations or recommendations. What about expressions? We should be familiar if we want to study fiqh. We have to understand, okay, what is the evidence that we can take from the Quran? So what are the expressions for number three, which is permissibility. Remember, there was five of them, right? There was fard or wajib, which is obligatory. There was mustahab or mandub, which is recommended. And then number three was was permissible, right? Uh, mubah. What are some evidences that we find in the Quran, Allah Ta'ala describing something as mubah or permissible? For example, Allah says, Uhilla, Uhilla lakum, ila nisa'ikum. It has been made permissible. So it's, yani halal, uhilla. It has been made permissible for you the night preceding fasting to go to your wives. So obviously when it's still nighttime, you're not, you haven't begun your fast yet, then therefore food, 
drink and intimacy are permissible. So this is an expression of permissibility. Furthermore, you have udina, udina lilladina yuqataluna bi'annahum zulimu. Permission to fight has been given to those who are being fought. So al-idhn, when it's described as it's permissible, it's allowed. It's not saying you have to do it. It's not saying you're not, not allowed to do it. It's, it's allowed if you want. Another expression would be raf' al-janah or raf' al-jarh. Whenever Allah Ta'ala says that there's no penalty for you or there is no sin upon you or there's no harm upon you. And here is an example. La junaha alaykum in talaqtumun nisa'a ma lam tamassuhun. That there is no blame upon you if you do divorce women, you have not yet touched. So let's say you got married, you just did the contract, you're about to have your first night together, but then you realize, oh my goodness, this was a big mistake, I never touched her, it's, it's halal for you to divorce even that early on. And it's actually a good thing, because then it's, it's barely even considered a, you know, a marriage, it's, she's still you know, untouched, and alhamdulillah, it'll be probably better for her, inshallah ta'ala. And another example of this is raf'ul ithm, that when Allah describes that the ithm, or the sin has been lifted, there is no sin upon the one who, for example, Allah says, la ithma alayhi, there is no sin upon him. So Allah says, and remember Allah during specific number days, then whoever hastens his departure in two days, there's no sin upon him. Yani, mubah, allowed. And whoever delays until the third, then there's no sin upon him. La ithma Yeah, la ithma There is no sin upon him. Now, the last two are what? Makruh, discouraged. And number five was haram, prohibited. What are some examples of this? We have an-nahi. An-nahi, as in uh, when Allah Ta'ala forbids something. For example, Ya ayyuhalladheena amru, la ta'kuru. Allah says, Oh, you have believed, do not consume one another's, one another's wealth unjustly or with you know, nonsense or falsehood or whatever the case is. So obviously a command, don't do this. It either is saying discouragement or prohibition. And then if Allah describes something as a sharr or something as evil, uh, as Allah Ta'ala says, Allah says, and let not those who greedily withhold what Allah has given them of his bounty Ever thinking that that is better for them? No, rather, rather, it is worse for them. So if it's worse, that means it's discouraged or all out, uh, outright prohibited. And some final examples, inshallah ta'ala, uh, are لَيْسَ الْبِرْ For example, Allah says, لَيْسَ الْبِرَّ أَن تُوَلُّوا وُجُوهَكُمْ قِبْلَ الْمَشْرِقِ وَالْمَغْرِبِ Righteousness is not that you turn your faces towards the east and the west. Therefore, this is prohibited or discouraged. You shouldn't be looking in every direction. Rather, this is saying what? Uh, this is encouraging, obviously, the qibla. Um, and then, uh, the last one, inshallah ta'ala, is what? When Allah describes something as evil or su'u. So Allah ta'ala says what? أُولَئِكَ لَهُمُ اللَّعْنَ وَلَهُمْ Allah says, but those who break the covenant of Allah after contracting it and sever that which Allah has ordered to be joined and, and spread corruption on earth, for them is the curse and they will have the worst home. So obviously this is just promising uh, some sort of a uh, threat. Therefore it's discouraging or prohibiting. So every time there's an action that Allah either commands to leave or disparages or curses or likens to animals or to devils or describes them as filthy or describes them as corrupt, then clearly all these things are either in the discouragement, makruh category, or the haram category. So I know today was a bit brief, uh, inshallah ta'ala, but inshallah ta'ala next week we're going to continue with uh, talking about the evidences that we derive from the sunnah. That's going to be a lengthy topic inshallah ta'ala. So with that we'll close here today and hopefully we'll open up for comments and questions. Barakallah fikum. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh. Real quick, I just wanted to mention that uh, I, had, uh, I had more time allotted to preparing uh, the second set of slides, but unfortunately somebody 
had an emergency meeting with me. So I had to uh, deal with that, which was a little frustrating. But uh, I thought, you know, خلاص, alhamdulillah, at least I got this one done. Um, so I apologize if it seemed a bit uh, short today, but maybe it's a good amount of time. Yes, follow. Uh, 